What is true? What is true? It's ironic that in the midst of what is referred to as the information age, we would find ourselves struggling with knowing what is true. I mean, we have access to all of this amazing information literally at our fingertips, and yet we don't know what's true and what's false. We're in the midst of what could be called a truth crisis. Far more information than we could ever hope to absorb is streaming through our news feeds. How do we know what's true and what's false? A news story is posted that claims one thing. And then another news story is posted that contradicts everything that the first story claimed. Which one is telling the truth? A video gets shared. From what we can see in the video, it's obvious what's taking place. And then another video of the same incident is shared, which tells a very different story. Well, which one is right? There are countless examples of this kind of stuff happening every day in our world. Uh, in, in, In the sea of information that we find ourselves drowning in, the truth is becoming more elusive than ever before. Discerning what's true has always been a problem, but has been accelerated to light speed in our day. I mean, there's the familiar saying, the winner writes the history books, which means the winner records the version of history to be passed forward to future generations. Uh, And it's not necessarily what really happened, it's what the winner wants us to know happened. In our day, the history is being written, though, and rewritten again and again so fast and by so many that we can't keep up. Further complicating these things is the manipulation of all of us by the companies who are serving all of this information to us. A growing number of stories continue to come out exposing the questionable practices by social media and information-serving companies like Facebook and Instagram, who's owned by Facebook, Google, YouTube, who's owned by Google, uh, Twitter, TikTok, and so forth. For example, just this past week, the former director of monetization for Facebook, Tim Kendall, said in a testimony before a congressional subcommittee that Facebook has, quote, taken a page from Big Tobacco's playbook, working to make their products as addictive as cigarettes. He said he now worries that Facebook is becoming just as damaging to its users as tobacco companies made cigarettes. He talked about how Facebook's algorithms for what gets put into people's news feeds spreads misinformation, it encourages divisive arguing, and it's laid the groundwork for mental health crisis. He said, quote, These algorithms have brought out the worst of us. They've literally rewired our brains so that we're detached from reality and immersed in tribalism. The algorithms, they favor shocking and divisive content because these companies want to evoke extreme emotional responses from its users in an effort to hold their attention as long as possible to then generate as much ad revenue as possible. This man's testimony is not a unique story. 
there are many reports of this same kind of manipulation of the information that gets fit to each of us every day by these information-serving companies. These companies, using very sophisticated computer programs, watch us and they learn what kinds of things we like and we dislike, what kinds of things make us happy, what kinds of things make us mad, and so forth. And then they feed us more of the kind of information that's going to get us emotionally engaged. It doesn't matter if that information is true or false. Truth is of no concern to them. Their objective is to get you to stay glued to that screen, continuing to scroll through that news feed, swipe through those images, watch those videos. They want your attention, and they will feed you anything they can to keep it. It doesn't matter if you are a Democrat or a Republican, a Christian or an atheist, black or white, an activist or a pacifist, a gun guy or a flower child, a sports fanatic or a fashionista or whatever. They learn what lights you up and then they light you up and keep lighting you up. Let me give you a word of caution at this point. If you're sitting here thinking right now that this kind of manipulation is happening to the other guy, but you're too clever to fall under its spell, then you are in the most danger of all because you are in denial of your own vulnerability. A new documentary on Netflix about this same kind of stuff called The Social Dilemma, it suggests that the increasing divisions in our country between people groups is a byproduct of the manipulation by these social media companies of this information that gets fed to each of us rather than the politicians who have reached new levels of belligerent and shameful behavior. Interesting. We're being manipulated for profit. That has always been the case, but it has reached a whole new level of intensity and there's nobody controlling them. So we struggle in our day with the question, what is true? Now, in this climate of the times that we're living in, consider what John wrote in his letter of 1 John. In 1 John 4.1, he says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. See, in John's day, there was no internet, no computers, no mobile phones, no social media platforms. Information was largely spread by word of mouth. And among these information servers of his day, there were many false prophets who were spreading false information about the spiritual realm and about Jesus Christ. How do we discern what is true and what is false when it comes to the spiritual realm and Jesus Christ? Well, this is what John talks about in this passage that we'll be looking at today. So flip in your Bible to 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, which we have already read. It says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So that we don't think that John was an excessive worrywart, I want to show you that this concern about false information, false prophets, false teachings coming into the church was shared by all of the church leaders in those days. Let's start with Jesus Christ himself. Over in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Jesus said, 
watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, by inward, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Jesus tells us, watch out for false prophets. Be on your guard. He says they come in sheep's clothing. In other words, they will appear legitimate, but they will not be easy to recognize for what they really are. Look at how he describes their true nature. They are ferocious wolves. If John is an alarmist about false prophets, then we know where he got it from, Jesus. Jesus continues in Matthew 7, 16. He says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, Every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. So Jesus tells us that a way to recognize a false prophet from a true prophet will be by the fruit of their life, what their life is producing, what is coming from their life. This is the same thing John has been telling us all through his letter of 1 John as well. Those who really know God, he says, will obey his commands and love others the way Jesus did. The fruit coming from the life reveals its true nature. Claims of spiritual revelation and insight and having mystical experiences proves nothing. Jesus continues in verse 21 of Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. So Jesus says that there will even be some who will call him Lord and prophesy and do miracles in his name but they never really do the will of God, and Jesus never really knows them. Well, what about the Apostle Paul? Did he have concerns about false prophets and teachers? Over in Acts chapter 20, in Paul's farewell address to the elders of the Ephesian church, he said this, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. So Paul, he describes these false prophets as savage wolves, the same terminology that Jesus used. These people will come into the church and try to destroy the lives of God's people, he says. There will be some from among the church's own members, he says, who will introduce distorted teachings and seek to draw people under their control. When you encounter a leader in the church who is making himself or herself the center of attention rather than Jesus, watch out. When you encounter a leader in the church who is trying to put people under their control rather than helping people put their lives under the lordship and control of Jesus, watch out. Paul warned 
the elders of the church to watch out for these false prophets and teachers. He said, I've warned you day and night for three years. Well, what about the Apostle Peter? 2 Peter 2.1, Peter writes this, But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. John's concern about false prophets and teachers in the churches was shared by Jesus and Paul and Peter. This was a very real threat for the church at that time, and it continues to be a real threat for the church now. Nearly all of the epistles in the New Testament have as one of their reasons for being written the combating of false teachings that were coming into the churches. These false teachings were not about what color to paint the church bathroom or the style of music to be played during the worship service. The false teachings had to do with the big important stuff like who Jesus is and how salvation is accomplished for people. John tells us, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. You see, not all ideas about the spiritual realm are legitimate. Now, I know that goes against what popular culture teaches, but intuitively, it ought to be obvious that not all ideas about the spiritual realm are legitimate and true. They can be. They contradict each other. They're not even compatible with each other, so they can't all be true. One of the biggest lies commonly passed around among people is it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you find it helpful for you personally. It does matter what you and I believe. An illustration. See, coming up with my own idea about gravity and how it works has no impact on gravity. I can choose to believe that gravity pushes me away from the center of mass of the earth rather than pulling me toward it, but that is not going to have any effect on how gravity really works. I mean, I can jump from a 10-story building believing in my heart, in my idea about gravity, but I will suffer the consequences. Doesn't matter how much I believe in my idea, no matter how sincere I am about my idea, no matter how committed I am to my idea, I'm going to hit the pavement. The same is true about the spiritual realm and Jesus Christ. My ideas will not change the truths about these things. And I will suffer the consequences if I am determined to go against those truths. If you or I trust in false ideas about Jesus, we are imperiling ourselves. Matthew 10, 16, Jesus said, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Shrewd as snakes. Be wise, intelligent, on your guard, street smart. Innocent as doves. 
possessing the gentle, pure nature of Jesus. Well, John continues in verse 2. He says, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. John tells us how we can recognize the spirit of God and the spirits behind false prophets and teachers. He says, one who acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And those who deny this are from the Antichrist. He says the same thing over in 1 John 2.22 where he writes there, and we looked at that uh, a few weeks ago. He says, who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. This test that John gives us here It gets to the heart of the false teaching that was infiltrating the churches John was writing to. The false prophets were saying that the Christ Spirit had descended upon the man Jesus at his baptism, and it traveled along with him during his years of ministry, and then it left him again just before the man Jesus died on the cross. They did not hold to the teaching that Jesus was both fully God and fully human. They did not hold to the teaching that Jesus was God the Son, the Christ, God in human flesh. Salvation for them was achieved through a special, enlightened, mystical knowledge or gnosis rather than trusting in the atoning death of Jesus Christ. As we have noted before, as we have made our way through this letter of 1 John, the false prophets, they had developed this whole system of thought that was connected and part of this, which included the denial of sin and therefore the need for forgiveness. In their system, God cares only for the spiritual. Whatever happens in the physical realm, he could care less about. This eliminated then for them the purpose and the meaning of the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. Sin is not relevant, therefore there is no need for forgiveness, therefore there is no need for an atoning sacrifice, therefore the death of Jesus Christ was meaningless. Well, this test that John gives for, dis- for determining the authenticity of a prophet or teacher was not intended to be the single end-all comprehensive test for determining genuine Christian teaching from false teaching in all situations. This test directly addressed the false teaching that was coming into the churches at that time. See, there are other essential elements of the Christian faith which need to be adhered to in addition to believing in the incarnation that Jesus Christ is both God and human. Some of the essential beliefs of Christianity include, and I just pulled these really quick off our what off of our website, actually, is God is a trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all three persons of the Godhead being co-equal and co-eternal. Jesus Christ is God the Son, fully God and fully human. He's He was preexistent with the Father, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, crucified, and then resurrected by the power of God on the third day. Human beings, Created good and in God's image, nonetheless disobeyed God and fell, 
breaking their relationship with God. Now sinful in nature, they cannot save themselves and be reconciled to God by their own good works and effort. Instead, reconciliation was and is initiated by God and is based solely on faith in the atoning death of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit seals and sanctifies believers, creating the fruit of Christ-likeness in them and enables them to do good works for God's glory. And by implication, all of this, the Bible is the word of God establishing our standard of truth and authoritative for every area of our life. It's interesting to note, though, that although there are other essential beliefs that a genuine Orthodox Christian holds to, the nature of Jesus Christ is almost always a determining factor in identifying false versions of Christianity. If you look into the beliefs of the various cults, you will find that nearly every one of them stumble on this point about who Jesus is. They don't hold that Jesus Christ is both fully God as the Son of the Trinity and fully human. Well, verse 4 John continues here and he says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, the false teachers, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The believers John is writing to have overcome the false teachers. They have not uh, bought into their teachings. They have not embraced those things. Instead, they have remained in Jesus Christ. And what was it that enabled them to do this? Was it their own cleverness and superior intellect over the false teachers? Was it because their kung fu is better than theirs? No, it was because the one who is in them is greater than the one who's in the world. Who's this one that is in them? The Holy Spirit. The protecting, preserving power of the Holy Spirit working in the life of the believer. See, Jesus told us that the Father would send the Holy Spirit to be with us, to comfort, to counsel, to guide, to teach, and to protect us. John chapters 14 through 16. Think about this. The one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. First, Christian, think about the reality of that for a moment. The Holy Spirit is in you. You, what an amazing thing to think about. Very God, the Holy Spirit, is living in you. Jesus promised us in John 14, 17 that the Holy Spirit would live in us. We're told in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in us. We're told in Romans 8, 11 that the same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is living in us. We're told in 2 Corinthians 1.22 and Ephesians 1.14 and 2 Corinthians 5.5 that the Holy Spirit is in us guaranteeing our eternal inheritance with Jesus Christ. It's amazing. The Holy Spirit is in you. Second Christian, take courage. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. There are many false prophets in the world, many more now than ever in human history. There are many pitfalls and traps that the devil has laid for us, but we have no reason to be afraid of any of that because the one who is in us is greater than the one who's in the world. Verse 5, he says, They are from the world and therefore speak from the 
viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. The false teachers are listened to by the world because they speak from the world's point of view, saying what the world wants to hear. Popularity and acceptability should never be used as a test for correctness. The popular view is not necessarily the right view. It can be, but it's not necessarily so. The right view is the right view, regardless of how popular or unpopular it is. The Apostle Paul said a time would come when people would no longer tolerate sound teaching. Instead, they would gather around them teachers who would tell them what they wanted to hear. There are times when I wonder if we are not in the midst of those days now. 2 Timothy 4.3, he said, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Verse 6. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So John gives us another test here for recognizing the spirit of truth versus the spirit of falsehood. Those who listen to and accept the teachings of John are from God. And we can say that those who listen to and accept the teachings of John, and by extension, those who accept and listen to the teachings of the other apostles, and by extension, those who listen to and accept the teachings of the New Testament are from God. Those who choose to listen to and accept something else, he says, are not from God. Now, this is a difficult point of view for people in our day to accept. I'm not going to make excuses for what John is teaching here, though. Instead, I'm going to listen to and accept his teaching because I believe it's true. So in closing today, we began with the question, what is true? We noted that truth is becoming increasingly more difficult to get hold of in the days we're living in. There's one, though, who is the truth with a capital T, Jesus Christ. He's the one that we trust in as his followers. In John 14, 6, Jesus said about himself, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And over in John 14, 17, Jesus told us that the Father would give us another one to help us, who would be with us and in us, the Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit who would guide us into truth. And so, we look to and we trust in our great God and Savior because the one who is in us is greater than the one who's in the world. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for your word today. And I pray, God, that you would touch our hearts with your truth. You would affirm it in us and strengthen us in it, Lord. 
that you, Jesus, are the truth. You, Holy Spirit, are the spirit of truth. Lord, I pray that your truth would be the anchor for our life. In you, we would find our peace and our joy and our security. In Jesus' name, amen.